Hello and welcome to Smart Businesses Do This. I'm your host, Adam Lyons, and today I'm joined by Satine Phoenix. That's me. That's you. That's me. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Who is going to be talking about how to start a business as an entrepreneur in a saturated market? But before we get into that, I need to really nerd out <laughs> just for a moment with this wonderful young lady here. Because um, you've, you've been an entrepreneur in a number of different things. Oh, yes. Right. Um, would you mind sharing just briefly with everybody at home what kind of things you've been an entrepreneur in? Oh man, um, I'm a graphic novelist. I'm a nonfiction author. Um, I am a professional dungeon master. And that's the one. You're waiting for that. That's the one. That's uh, what I was waiting for. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. How now? You've literally. I mean, those three alone, and and other things as well. Obviously, oh, many got, other. Yeah, things. many other things. But those things alone, that's like everybody's, or not everybody's, but a lot of people's dream things. Yes. Because it's like the creative, artistic. You told me you got $600,000 worth of camera equipment. Like, I mean- <laughs> Only like, 60, only 60,000. Oh, $60,000 yeah. $60, <laughs> worth of camera equipment. So, but the, the, the point is, these are all markets that everyone is competing in. Everyone's trying to get into because it's the fun stuff. No one wants to start a laundrette, right? A laundromat. Everyone yes. wants to be a graphic novelist or- Nowadays, people want to be a professional dungeon master. Not when I was younger, no one wanted to do that, but now they do. Well, that wasn't a thing. It was not. A I thing. made it a thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, you were one of the first. Yeah, because I wanted to do it, therefore I did it. Which, which is that's amazing. how it goes. The end. Yeah, which is amazing. <laughs> and um, obviously, you've funded all of that by being a cleaner on the side. Yes. Yeah, it's my laundry. Yeah, rights. obviously, it's a laundry. <laughs> no, you haven't. That's the whole point. You've made money doing this stuff yeah how do you do that how do you make it work all on accident and it's really just like following my heart so uh growing up i was part of the freemason community there's a youth group for little girls and i was part of it and it taught me about charity so over my 20s i did my 20s things and that was very exciting but then i hit 30 and was like i miss raising money for charity so i came up with this idea i lived in los angeles and i'd hang out at this um comic book store not on sunset comics, boulevard on sunset boulevard and I'm like, okay, I run the D&D events out of here like twice a week. So I'm going to do a charity event where celebrities are going to play Dungeons and Dragons and we're going to raise money for a childhood literacy foundation. And I'm like, okay, cool. How do I do this? Well, I can put it on the internet. And of course, I don't know like A-level celebrities. So it's all like DEF level celebrities and like producers and it's just my friends. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so their fans are going to... Um, invest money and or put in money and fundraise and it's going to be awesome. So uh, 2010, I'm like, okay, we're all in the same room. There's four tables. I got a bunch of voice actors out and it was horrible. It was a bad <laughs> idea. And we raised $500 and the audio was mixing. It was all on one page. So like four videos on one page. I had no idea about bandwidth. It was a nightmare. But I loved it and I wanted to raise money again the next year. So 2011, I'm like, all right, we're going to do this again. We're going to have four different pages. And it was a hot mess. And then eventually, um, so the next year, same people came out 
and we raised a thousand dollars. And this is like just because I love it, just because I wanted to play with all these people, yeah. just because I wanted to raise money. And like I probably shelled out probably 10 grand over the course of three years because I love the community so much. I didn't ask for anything back and it was all about my heart and being around these people and facilitating kind of like mommying everybody. And then I was like, okay, it's going to be uh, one game for two hours and then the next game for two hours and the next game, the next game. And it's kind of stuck with that. So now you see these charity events happening online and there wasn't live gaming back then. Mm -hmm. This was like Justin TV, which was the precursor to twitch.tv. Um, that was out of another room. The whole, the whole thing was weird and punk rock and fun. And then it escalated and eventually Dungeons and Dragons noticed. And I met them in 2016. And then 2017, I signed a contract for a live show with uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And then the next year they're like, we want you to be our community manager. And I'm like, I get to travel the world, go to different countries and tell everyone how much I love Dungeons and Dragons and then meet other people who also love it. And it just went like that. And I was like, I'm going to be a comic book artist. And eventually I was like, I guess I'm not going to be a comic book artist. I'm going to do this. So it happened because I allowed it to happen. And yeah. I just kind of like followed my heart and kind of like stayed true and stayed positive about it. I, I don't know. It, like, it, it was it was not intentional. But now in my 40s, I am now doing things that are intentional. So it's like there's these two things I'm juggling, which was this amazing accidental thing. And then how do I be intentional from here on out and like carry that positivity and that heart and that love and enjoyment? Yeah. So, no, so first of all, amazing <laughs> journey, amazing story. So the question is, what have you shifted now that makes it intentional? Like where is, because before you were clearly following your heart, going along with that journey, what is the difference now? Well, I learned a lot through the journey, <laughs> right? Um, you're just kind of like doing things off the cuff and making a business off the cuff with no systems. <laughs> totally punk rock. People are going to like have think that you know what you're doing and then invest in you and then realize that you actually don't and then get really upset so now systems learning masterminds coaches um community uh really building things from the ground up knowing what i know knowing that anything i do needs to be intentional it has to have a foundation that's the pivot for me makes sense yeah yeah okay so um, how do you go about developing systems now? How do you go about building out that foundation? Is it through trial and error from the past? Or <laughs> yes. do, do you have yes any and no. Like, so okay, yeah. apparently going to school is really good. And um, <laughs> learning from people who've come before is really good. So I learning what I did wrong, mm -hmm. so important. And not like allowing it to tear me down, but being like, okay, ah, that's that's a not a good way to do it. This is how it affects me. This is how it affects the people around me. This is how it affects the community. Okay, so I take that and now I learn what other people are doing and then I merge the two. Okay, so I take pieces of what other people have already built. Thank goodness for all these courses and classes and AI. You talk right. a lot about AI. Uh, and then the emotionality and like uh, the community and what they want and understand how it all fits together. And it's not just about me anymore. It's actually about like all of us. Like, that's kind of like the, the, 
foundation of the foundation. Yeah. I, know, I don't know anything about building. So I'm sure that there's something like structure underneath the foundation. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I love it. I haven't learned that one yet. <laughs> that's, that's okay. No, but, but you, you're right. Like something that I learned a long time ago is if you take any good idea from somewhere else and to bring it where you are, you're now innovative and you it's make art. something new. I mean, right. that's literally art. So yeah. I went to art school for five years. So I know how to do homework and I know how to build projects, like small projects, right? And taking that idea and then bringing it into every part of your life, that makes for a good business. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, no, I absolutely love that. Um, how do you, um, like when you've got a saturated market, how do you separate yourself from everybody else? Well, you got to think about it in a different way. If you think about it as saturated, you're going too big, Yeah. right? You got to know who you're aiming for. Who, is, who do you connect with? So what is your business? Um, how do you relate to it? Um, well, who are the people in that saturated market of all these different demographics? Which smaller group do you connect with? And then build something for them. That, yeah, like a niche. Like, and this is what I love about your story, right? So, you know, you started at Meltdown Comics. I mean, I was in LA at the same time. So I, was, yeah. I would drive by and see <laughs> your, your poster on the door of Meltdown <laughs> Comics. True story. So I knew that that was happening, obviously, because I know you. Um, but what I, I find fascinating is it's like year one, nothing. Year two, nothing. Year three, Nothing. I didn't make money until, because I was still doing comics and yeah. writing and everything. So I didn't actually make money for eight years yeah, well, because that, I didn't yeah. mean to. It right. wasn't my purpose. You were doing right? it because you loved it. And that's what I love about your journey. It wasn't until, well, you know, 2017 yeah. when it kicked off from something that started in 2010. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people, when they design a business, they do go about it the wrong way. It's, it's actually funny. Me and, uh, me and Eve had like a whole discussion about this the other day where I said to her, when you build a project, if the goal of the project is to get an immediate return, it will fail. The goal of the project should be to learn if this is the correct way to go about doing the project. Yes, yes. Right, and as long as the goal of the project sees, is this the right way to build the project, you won't fail. Yeah. Because either it is not the right way to build a project, at which point you go back to the drawing board and start again, or it is the right way and we duplicate it. And as long as that's the goal, you're going to be good. Mm -hmm. If you acknowledge the initial attempt as a failure because it did not do what you needed, yeah. you quit. And you'll never learn from it. And you, you'll give up. Yeah. You, you, won't. you don't learn. You don't move forward. And, and mentally, you're like, what's the point? That was a month of my life or a year of my life. Don't be dramatic. You're actually learning a lot. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be a learning thing. Yeah. And you have to be willing to go away from it and be like, okay, what is the issue? Like, mm -hmm. where is that problem? Like, what, what do I need to do? And then you evolve and evolve and evolve until it becomes something amazing. Yeah. I mean, I probably fell on my face so many times and I would shake it off, shake it off. I learn from it, shake it off, evolve, evolve, evolve. And so like over the course of the, like the last 13 years, I kept evolving even the way I was filming, mm -hmm. right? Evolving, truncating, um, getting the, the players kind of like learning how to game master to get them to give their fullest and most efficient answers for things. And how, to, how does the audience, like everything, every moment is learning. And if you can say, oh, I, I did not do my best there or, oh, that's a learning 
and even saying, okay, I failed here, but then not giving up, right? right. Like yes. that's the key. Yeah, and, and that's that is the hardest part. Like, you know, we know this. Um, I, I learned a lesson many, many, many years ago from a marketer. He had a program and he launched it for a thousand bucks and it completely flopped. And he gave a speech about the worst project he'd ever done. And so the whole, like everyone else was like, this is how I'm amazing. Yeah. His was like, this is a time I really failed. And um, he, obviously he had a bunch of successes, but he was like, I want to talk about the one I failed. He goes, it was a thousand dollar program. It completely failed. And the analysis was he should have either charged $10,000 or $10. Yes. And everyone in the audience say, what? Like, why not $1,500 or $500? He goes, it's not enough of a deviation. Mm -hmm. It either had to be 10 times more expensive or it had to be like, oh, no, 10 times cheaper, right? Or 100 times cheaper. It had to be that much cheaper in order for it to make sense. People can't wrap their head around that. Right. Because there's a lot of like shame, like I shouldn't charge who am i to charge that much money um i do a thing called sateen's quest where i take a bunch of nerds and we go to extravagant luxury locations i got so much heat for it who are you to charge five thousand dollars for a weekend i was like well actually um the hotel's this and actually it's really expensive plus my time and and the months of preparation people don't understand for a coaching like I see people offering coaching things for like $250. I'm like, are you making money? Yeah, dude, it's <laughs> like, so true. Yeah. Cause like, and you're not just paying for like that moment, you're paying for the experience and all the failures, right? And all the schooling. Yeah, it, it is difficult. And I think like when someone's charging for something, especially like nowadays, you got to recognize what you're really charging for is a combination of two things. It's, your time mm-hmm. and the output they're going to get when you value your time at 250 bucks you know and, and you know i i did this the other day with somebody um i used to make uh, prop swords for a living no, um, yeah cool. <laughs> i was my, my very first business uh which is pretty good we did about 50 grand a month in amazing yeah it was super it was for live role play yeah. and replicas but whatever so um but i had a guy message me and said why don't you make them anymore because I have the knowledge. In fact, I'm the person that brought them from England to America. Like I was the person that got them approved. Right? Thank like, you. Thank no, you no one knows. Before that, all <laughs> live role play swords, at least, were just foam pool noodles yeah, around yeah. it. But we made them look real, and that was like that was me. So I have the technology still in my head. I could I could do this at any point. And my buddy was like, "You should do it." And I was like, "No." I was like, <laughs> "Why not?" I was like, first of all, being there, done that. Second of all, um. I know how much they cost to make. And and my buddy was like, yeah, but we could do it like this. We could do it like that. And I was like, look, the raw materials are 13 bucks. Mm-hmm. I was like, and so people go online and they see you can make these for $13. I was like, but it's two days of cure time. I was like, and that's the thing that people don't acknowledge. Because if you don't let it cure properly, it has a lot of malfunctions. I was like, and two days where you have to watch it and monitor it. That's like your day rate, right? So in right. LA, my day rate is like two grand. So that's $4,000 just to wait. <laughs> right, just to sit and wait. And they do need to be monitored during that time. Otherwise, it's a waste. And then how many physical swords can you place in one room where you've got room to walk 360 mm-hmm. degrees around it to check for quality? You can't hold it and move it because it's drying. Oh my so it has to be static. 
So what we did is we'd hold them on racks that come out from the wall, but now one can drop on top of another one so they can't have anything below them either. So when you think like this, you now have to imagine how many swords can you fit on a wall of a room, like in the wall, like I already know, like looking here, you can probably only fit like 60 swords on that wall. Man, so, I don't want that business. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so when you start thinking that way, you're like, okay, so I've got 60 swords on one wall. Yeah. I can probably do one and a half walls because I need doors to get into the room. Yeah. And so you think about that, you go, okay, I could do 90 swords, but I've got to watch 90 swords. That's now a full-time job the entire time. And like you said, then it's how much do you want to get paid per day to exist? Yeah. And then you got to remember, this is the hard part. Every damaged sword doesn't generate oh, any that's revenue. True. A single drip in the wrong place is an aesthetic damage you can't sell. So now, if you miss one, if you had a pee break, and and like that's a problem. So once you add all this up, I was like, the actual effective cost of the sword is seventy dollars, seventy, not thirteen, because of manpower. Yeah. I was like, so now we have a much harder thing because to sell it, a retailer wants. Double the distributor's cost. I just figured out how to make a lot of money on this. <laughs> Go for it. Ready? Okay. So it's you and an artist. Yep. And and this is how you break through saturated markets, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is actually leads to the next thing I wanted to say, Love which this. is yeah. community. Mm -hmm. um, social media is so powerful. So you film everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have an artist paint on each one of these, mm -hmm. right? So now they're no longer just usable. And that artist has jumped the, the quality up from $70 to $2,000 each. Right, yeah, yeah, and you're not wrong. And it's actually funny, there is an entire group that that is what they yeah. do, because that is, yeah. there's there's two there's two methods that, that ended up generating a lot of money. Uh, one was that, which is what you described, which is perfect, and the other one was teach people how to do it and yes. workshops, yeah. where the two days was fun because everyone's hanging out and listening to music, and they make their- Then you sell, then you, it's like a $70 workshop with 500 people. <laughs> And then you, you basically it. just sold and everyone's making the 500. Yeah. And if they sorry. damage it, it's like, oh, that sucks. You know, it sucks for you, but you did that. Right. But, but, and this That's is where, really but then the pricing, because the pricing of the individual swords, because like a sword's 300 bucks. Mm -hmm. And the reason swords are in a box is because the effective cost of manufacturer is 75. Yeah. The distributor is going to want is double. That? So that's 150. And then the retailer wants double 300. Yeah. So, so yeah, when you say calculate, you're like, it's only $13 worth of materials. They're selling it for 300. It's a ripoff. And it's like, yeah, but the transportation, of a two meter object oh, from one place to another is expensive. Yes. And, and so this is like the, the piece that everyone doesn't get. So, you know, to your point, you would do an industry like that because you love it. Because you love it. Because you love it. And you know what the community wants. Right. And after, you know, I, I worked in that industry for seven years, I'm good. I made more than enough. You sports. have to evolve. You right. have yeah. to change and be okay. It should be okay to pivot. Right. Um, and you'll find that a lot of the people that do follow you from one industry to another, they're diehard, they're loyal, and then they, they see what you do. They see why you do it. And that is a huge reason well, that kind of helps you break through, more breaking through. Of why are you doing this thing? People really want to be involved in companies, right? I'm really understanding uh, stakeholders now. Why are they involved? Because they relate and they want to relate. Mm -hmm. We don't just want to go on Amazon and buy something. We want to be connected to it and we want to like carry it with us and kind of show it off, you know? Well, I, I love that you, you, you raised that. So um, I am, I, I pretty much buy everything off of Amazon. 
except for the things I don't. And, <laughs> and I know this sounds crazy, but I, I'm going to define this because yeah. if you're not an Amazon seller, you need to be one of the people that I will buy something off of you because I don't need Amazon for you. Mm-hmm. And when I am choosing to buy something not on Amazon, Amazon is easier, cheaper, faster, more convenient. Mm-hmm. Everything's better about Amazon. If I'm buying from you and you're not on Amazon, you are somebody that I love what you do mm-hmm. and it is unavailable on Amazon. Yeah. But I need to love everything about you. I can't just love your product. I need to love you, your company, your brand. The every- colors. Right. The experience of going to your website. Everything. Yeah. So I, there's there's one company that I love. I'm going to give you guys a shout out. You, they're probably never going to watch this podcast, uh, but it's Super X. And I love Super X, Super X Apparel. Um, they make fitness gear mm-hmm. that is based on superheroes. Yeah. I'm, obs- I'm obsessed. They um, obviously they don't have, well, they didn't have any of the licensing, but we'll get there in a second. They had like, they don't have the Iron Man outfit. It's the Stark. Yes. Right. So they they're like very clever. Very clever. Yeah. They don't have uh, Captain America. It's the Rogers. Right. And so right, Steve Rogers. So like you can put it together. Mm -hmm. And so so they do these things. Now here's what's really cool about them. They do limited edition ones because of costs, and they're constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. My first suits from them are nowhere near as good as the newer ones. So I love that they take that feedback. So I love this company anyway. They just did their first licensing deal with the official Power Rangers workout outfits. Wow. The, like the actual official one. And I loved it because they did a real internet marketing launch. They had a countdown. They were like, this is the day they're going to go live. This is the time. This is our first branded deal. We're super excited. They sold out in like hours, um, which was awesome. So I think about my shopping experience on SuperX versus my shopping experience on Amazon. Yes. When I buy from Amazon, I am window shopping for something specific or I know what I'm after. I'm going to go get it. It is a last minute thing like, oh, you know, I really need a beard trimmer. All right. Amazon <laughs> beard trimmer, highest review, buy it. For Super X, I will spend, you know, a few hundred bucks a month, every month on their newest suit. Mm-hmm. I buy from them because they are attracting me in. They're like, follow us on Instagram. Here's this cool picture. Hey, here's some of our, our, you know, the tiniest members of our community. Like they're they're interacting with me about the culture around what they do. We're yeah. nerdy and we work out. Which, they know you, right? And they don't always go together. Like I work out and I'm nerdy. Yeah. So like that appeals to me. Yeah. But but if you if you aren't that niche, like you said, that micro niche, it's gonna be tough. Now, if I said to you, I'm gonna start a uh, a business doing fitness gear. Mm-hmm. That's a saturated market. That is a saturated <laughs> right? market. Like, oh my god! Yeah, we're gonna do yeah. fitness gear instead of a tick like Nike. We're gonna do a cross because you know good luck, it's CrossFit, have fun, right? Yeah. Like, and you're just like you're done. Now CrossFit is more of a niche, right. but then you have like CrossFit moms, and all of a sudden, boom, you've got your your micro niche. Right? right yeah, exactly. And then CrossFit for nerds. There's like a, I've seen a gym that CrossFit is, for nerds over forty. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You got that that sub micro niche. Yeah. But but the thing is, the more you speak to your niche, the more you pinpoint that that is where you're gonna make that real win, and that's how you step out that saturation because. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's not that I like fitness gear. I don't love fitness gear. It's not that I like nerdy stuff. I, I do, but it's that it's specifically this one company. If another company started advertising to me 
and was like, look, we also do nerdy but fitness. But now you're yeah. like, well, but I'm loyal to this company Bingo. because they know me and they've made the outfit that I wear every day. Bingo. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so it's key, like as a business, you really do have to think about they're buying from you because of the brand. Yes. Even if you're not a major brand. So the the key to avoiding that saturation is being, hey, this is my brand. I'm speaking to you specifically. Yeah. And like you can price it. So it's like priced higher, priced a little lower um, to get people in, but then you have to nurture them and, and right. really understand them. The feedback, reviews, um, telling your audience, like, I hear what you're saying. This is how we've evolved it because of what you're saying. Super important. This, uh, let's, let's get nerdy and talk lightsabers for a minute because um, I, think, I think you'll appreciate yes. this. So- I was very at, dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah, very, very dangerous. <laughs> so I was at a martial arts event uh, about a few months ago, and uh, there was a guy selling lightsabers, and they put them on discount. So I bought like four lightsabers for this, obviously. So I went home with lightsabers. What's important is each of these lightsabers was $100. Bear with me. We're going to get into this. Believe it or not, lightsabers is a saturated market. Really? I can go to Walmart <laughs> right now, yes. and I can buy a Star Wars official lightsaber for 20 bucks. I can go to the, the Disney store and I can buy an official uh, Luke Skywalker star, um, lightsaber with the special effects and everything for 250 bucks. There is a number of different uh, companies from like Saber Masters, Pro Sabers, uh, Zen Sabers. There's all these different sword companies. So on Amazon right now, there is a lightsaber for $30. There's another company that has a lightsaber for 500 Okay, so my question is, yeah. how usable is the cheaper one? How usable is that the more expensive one? Right, and that's the question. I haven't bought the 30 or the 50, or the 500. Yeah. I haven't yet, which is where it comes down to. So, and, and it's, it's really just an exercise in saturated markets. Yeah. So the lightsabers, um, obviously I'm only gonna buy so many lightsabers in my, that's not true, I can buy a lot. But <laughs> you can you fit a lot of lightsabers on this wall. Theoretically, I, <laughs> I don't need to buy another lightsaber. I have a lot of lightsabers. But if I was gonna buy another lightsaber, there's the $30 one, there's the $500 yes. one, the $30 one on Amazon, the $500 one via this company that has been advertising to me, that is not the one I bought the $100 mm -hmm. lightsabers from. Talk through, if you wouldn't mind for a moment, the decision-making yes. of, why is it not just easy to buy the $30? Why am I even thinking about the $500? Well, the $30 one might fall apart, right? Mm -hmm. If I pick it up or if I maybe play with it once. The $500 one is going on my wall. I could probably fit like two of those. So at, over my lifetime, I might invest $1,000 into that company and that's it. But the $30 one, I could buy a couple of them, but I'll get like one or two uses out of it. That $100 one is high enough where I could buy a couple of them. I'll probably play with them with my kid for like a couple of years. So I actually get more value out of it because I'm using it. Yeah, so I, I, so I love this and and I'm, I'm with you. Like the point being, there is a market for all three. Mm -hmm. There is a market for the $100 ones that show up at the martial arts event, which they're making it very clear. Placement, martial arts oh my God, right. so like, good for placement. Yeah. yeah, whereas the $500 ones at the martial arts event, that's no good. These guys aren't putting on a wall, they're fighting with them. Yeah. The $30 one, also no point going to a martial arts event because the amount of effort you've got to do to physically go to the event isn't worth it for the 30 bucks they're yes. making. So Amazon makes the most sense. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot, but not really. Do you have a favorite set of dice for Dungeons and Dragons? I do. What is your favorite set, if you don't want me asking? No, I have a couple of them, and it, um, but they're from Level Up Dice. Okay, yep. You know Level Up I know dice. Level Up, yep. Uh, so the, 
Um, Alex is a friend of mine and I love going up to their booth at conventions. So con- Dun- Dungeons and Dragons conventions, gamer conventions. It is just a lot. You go in and it's just like in your face and you're going to look for dice. There's buckets and buckets of dice. They designed their shop to be a jewelry store. I love jewelry. I want to feel good when I go and purchase my dice. Yeah. And they have beautiful displays, lights everywhere. It's very bright. They they show you the dice on like a velvet tray. The experience of buying those dice. And they're like 100, 150, 200, 250. They got some made out of all sorts of materials. I think I've got an $800 D8 from them. You know, and it's like. I choose that and I now granted I have buckets of dice at home, right? Buckets and buckets, but I love these because of the experience that I have getting them, showing them, playing with them. Yeah. So I, I, I love that. And, and that's the reason I'm saying it. I, I have same as you lots of dice, but my favorite set is a dice that a dice set that I waited uh, 12 years to purchase. (laughs) Yeah, twelve years. You win. Yeah, you well, win son. <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't know about maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but again, it's just that idea of like a saturated market. Yeah. You um, today is Prime Day, though they were filming, not the day. Okay, bye. So. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, we own a Dungeons and Dragons store downstairs, and um, if I buy dice from my distributor, it's about about five bucks to six bucks a dice set, mm-hmm. and they'll retail for ten to twelve. Yeah, I can buy. The same set on Amazon right now for $2 because of Prime Day, which is insane. Like there is no point as a retailer oh. buying dice from my distributor today. I should just buy it from Prime because they eat. Wow. They, they sell them at a loss to attract buyers, yeah. right? Which is part of Amazon's strategy. We're going to lose money two days a year to sell stock that's sitting there to make yeah. mass amounts of money. I mean, it's a good sacrifice. Right. It's a, it's yeah. a great sacrifice. But as a retailer, it's crazy. If I'm any retailer group, if you join them, they always go, hey, go buy your stuff cheaper than you can get a few distributors on Amazon today. And oh so, gosh. you know, we stocked up. Um, even the player's handbook, which is crazy. Um, you know, they sell for 50. We buy them for 27. On Amazon, stay there 11 bucks. Oh my God. Yeah. The player's handbook, you, you play D&D, stay for 11 bucks. So do you just like buy all your... You, we it's bought like the Christmas. Stock for the year. Yeah. We bought <laughs> all the stock yeah. from the store for the year wow. today on, or yesterday on Amazon. And then there's the business of being a distributor, right? So it's like, woof, it's rough. Yeah, they can't even buy it that cheap. So, so my point is, um, you can buy a set of dice for two dollars. So my favorite set of dice cost me five grand. So I love that you mentioned an eight hundred dollar <laughs> dice, and I waited twelve years to yeah. buy them um, because again, it's that thing of like highest level price. Why did I buy five thousand dollar dice? It's because they're made out of um, an extinct animal. And please don't hate me for this. I assure you that the animal was not killed to make my dice. I assure you. Are you sure? Because it was a mammoth. <laughs> it's mammoth tusk dice is what my dice were made That's out crazy. of. Yeah, and I feel like considering mammoths passed away before Dungeons yes, Dragons yes, was invented, yes. this makes it okay. <laughs> um, and it's a company that sources yes. these extravagant materials. They don't- they, Are they the ones that do the meteor dice yeah. too? I got one of those. Yeah, those good. exactly, those good. It, it's yeah. great. And, and again, I don't ever use these dice. They sit. Just on a on a display, and it's again, it's it's what makes somebody choose to spend five thousand dollars on dice. And, and again, when you're pricing yourself and you're thinking, how do I stay out of a saturated market? 
dear Lord, do not look at what everybody else is charging and charge that amount. <laughs> no, no. You got to do what the, the guy did on the, the $10,000 or the, or the $10. You've got to think, I am either going to be the cheapest, huh? so cheap that no one is even going to believe that I'm doing it, or I am going to be so expensive yes. that every single sale is like but it's knowing your Christmas. audience you got to know your audience right. are you selling toilet paper and they're going to come back and buy toilet paper every month right or are you selling to a collector who really loves gold <gasps> toilet paper you know like right and, and again like yeah <laughs> likewise if i was gonna sell toilet paper my toilet paper would be sold sold on the fact that it's the most comfortable exquisite experience can i tell you about my favorite toilet please tell me about your toilet paper <laughs> so but as my retirement plan, I want to bring one of these to America. The toilet paper. Um, so in Paris, there is something called one ply, and I've not found it out here. Okay, yeah. And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? This is the most luxurious thing ever. And essentially, it's so quilted, you just need one ply. That's and I was like, and I when I came back from Paris, I was I looked around and I haven't seen any in America. So if someone else can beat me to it. This is a really good idea. <laughs> um, but it's also super expensive and right. like that. But that's make your thing so amazing and so different, but it's, but also something people understand. That's the other big key. So whatever you're doing, it's like, here's a bottle of water. I'm going to drink this bottle of water. I understand bottles of water. I also understand that this other bottle of water doesn't have fluoride in it. It, it has a higher, higher pH. pH. Yeah. Um, it's better for me in this way. Therefore I will choose to buy that one. So that's just so another way to think. About yeah, it. and and, and I, I think that's so important because that is how you stay out of a saturated market. You you essentially acknowledge that there is a maturation in the market that has said this is where it is, mm -hmm. and you're going to go a step further. Um, there's actually there's a really good book that talks about the stages of markets. I don't know if you um if you know, breakthrough advertising covers it. I'm not sure if they were the first, but the idea is initially the market doesn't exist. And first to market matters. Mm -hmm. So um, I like using Coke as an example, like Coca-Cola, where they invented it. Yeah. So first of all, it's just Coca-Cola. And now you just have to be like, we're Coca-Cola. The end. Right. The end. We have, that's it. And that's the initial, um, the initial um, thing. Then the market develops and the competitors turn up. Yes. And so the other competitors just have to be, we're different to them. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything. So it's like, that's Coca-Cola. We have a different, better flavor. And that's what you need. Yeah. Then you get to this third level. And at the third level is when you start niching. Yes. So the third level is, this is Coca-Cola, but it's for marathon runners. Yes. Right? And so yeah. then you're in this third level of, so we're no, it's no longer good enough to say we're different. We're not just different. We are for you. There is no new ideas. And this is something we learned in art. Everything, all art is seeing what other people have done. Um, practiced and like mastered that and then evolving it right and so i like products that say you know what this works really well there's obviously traffic that goes to this thing we're going to take this and we're going to super it up and we're going to level it up so now you have a level 10 instead of a level 5 product yeah and, and which is exactly key because then you go to like that level, four, the final level level four which is a hyper saturated market yes. where it's like we are Coca-Cola, different to regular Coke, because we're for marathon runners who are pregnant. <laughs> and then it's like, what do you do, right? And then you're in this like super- and Suddenly yeah. you're like making millions because that is a thing now. 
Right. And that's like, and now you're in like the, the hyper, hyper, hyper yeah. niche. So you can always survive in a, in a hyper saturated market by taking that. And, and like you said, and this is one of the things you said earlier, I love one of the easiest ways to find your niche is actually to find two niches and combine them. Mashups. People love mashups. Right. Like, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Coca-Cola. I'm going to give you a niche for Coca-Cola that doesn't exist today, right? Which All is right. a pretty bold claim. All right. Here we go. At the time of recording, to my knowledge, <laughs> no one has developed Coca-Cola for pickleball players. I do like soda and I do like pickleball. Right? And that's, yeah. that's no one has done that. And the point is, you know, some would be like, yeah, but that's stupid. Just buy regular Coke. Yeah, but I guarantee you pickleball players mm -hmm. would rather buy Coca-Cola for pickleball players. And if you talk about the fact that regular soda, when you're running around, <laughs> it actually can create heartburn because we know that pickleball players are slightly older and that that can actually exacerbate things. And most caffeinated be beverages are going to do that. Our Coca-Cola is specifically designed for <laughs> pickable players that despite the fact that it has some fizz like cola ours is based on kombucha which actually means that when you're running around will not give you heartburn and better yet it doesn't have that overwhelming kombucha flavor because we've taken the fizz from the kombucha and injected <laughs> it into our cola it's also zero calorie so you don't have to worry about gaining extra uh, right. Th thank you. Thank you. Bravo. Appreciate it. And it has antioxidants. And it has antioxidants. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, long life um, tendencies. Yes. So um, <laughs> the, the point is, if I can, off the top of my head, invent a completely brand new product for a hypersaturated market, that would probably do pretty well. Yeah. Um, you know, sponsoring pickleball tournaments. I love pickleball. We just started playing like um, two months ago. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm really good at ping pong. And it's like, tennis and ping pong at the same time i love how much pickleball players love pickleball I just love it. it's one of it's right now right now my top tip for any business <laughs> is like just create a pickleball product like i swear to god okay i got it ready <laughs> dungeons and dragons <laughs> and pickleball I we're doing this before you have said to do this, this. <laughs> the, have, you, have you ever seen <laughs> have you ever seen the animes about sports, like sporting anime. No. So there's a whole subgenre of anime really? that is for sports, like baseball huh. and stuff like that. And it's like um, so some buddies of mine made some parodies where they did one for like fidget spinners. Uh, but there's there's um there's, fidget spinner sport. It, it's a, a parody anime on professional oh, okay. fidget spinning, which, <laughs> okay. which isn't real. But I saw one this morning um, for rock paper scissors, and uh, they do this whole. It's all filmed like an anime so style. Like, ah, yeah, exactly. It's like seven years ago. <laughs> you know, like I knew that this would be. You know, it's like that. But it's like um the the, the rock and the scissors. Yeah, yeah. And then the guy with the scissors should like, lose. But then it shows how powerful his fingers are, and he starts trying to try cut the guy's fist. He's like, <gasps> yeah, it's like, that's another way to break into saturated markets right. through hilarious advertising, right? Which would be absolutely super, super strong. But that's that's my point. An, an anime pickleball oh show would crush it, right? It like, would. See? And and it, it's multi generational. Yeah, you get the kids mm -hmm. and the grandparents, and the parents are stuck in the middle, so they have to participate. They, they'd have to watch it. They'd yeah. have to see, like, yeah, the uh, the anime. They'd at least pickleball. be exposed to it <laughs> right and, and and i love this because the, the the concept is this your market might be saturated for the product but it is very rarely saturated for a new community that is developing yes and there are always new communities developing the key is to take a product that you love and bring it to yeah. that community and and in for that, you kind of really need to be involved in that community, right? Yeah. Because yeah, if yeah. you're doing it because it's gimmicky, oh, they can smell that a mile away. 
They're like, no, you're a liar. <laughs> we don't want you here. Um, so yeah, you have to really understand no and then be a part of it. And you know, even if you are new to that niche, pickleball, yep. um, you'll find things that you're in love with it, right? Mm -hmm. That you that you can connect with in it, be in love with it, and then connect with the audience better. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. I mean, I'm a huge fan of it, especially like getting in with communities. Um, something I, I've picked up a new hobby recently, which is action figure photography. <laughs> um, which is, you know, uh, obviously it's a uh, hypersaturate. Everyone knows about it. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, the way I got, the reason I'm, I'm doing it is it's actually a, a thought experiment because I want to demonstrate that anybody can get into art. Um, yeah. This is, uh, you know, you don't, I don't need a model. My model is 20 bucks, you know, like just a, a toy. Yeah. It stays in the exact position I want it to be in. And the only thing I need to focus on is light and composition which is really what photography is about. Have you, okay, so in my varied experiences, I was a packaging designer for a company called Loyal Subjects. Okay, nice. Do you know Loyal Subjects? I've heard of them, yeah. They're the vinyl collectibles. Yep, yep, yep. And one of the reasons why I love them was because of their photography. So these are like little collectibles, like $10, $20 or whatever. It's like Power Rangers, He-Man. I got to do a cool like He-Man illustration. Nice. And, um, but they, the photography of this, right, it was like Apple look. Nice. It made you want to not want to play. You felt like you were playing. You felt like you're six years old again because it was so hyper real. Yep. And also you should get those toys. You'll love. I mean, them. I'm now totally <laughs> going to look at it. But yeah, well, and this is what I like about it because I am, I'm on a mission to take pictures of the, the action figures, make them look as real as possible. That's the, the goal because it's a way of practicing photography. But one of the ways I'm doing it, one of the ways I'm getting in with that community, because the community is quite large. Um, there's like two to 3,000 people in the action figure community, which we're going to get to in a minute. Um, not the size of community I want to get into. But they have competitions. Mm -hmm. And so I'm entering every competition. Um, I just got my first rank. I, got, I ranked seven on my last piece of artwork. So right? seven out of like 3,000 people is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. But there are other communities for the figures themselves, mm -hmm. not the photography. The photography mm -hmm. is a hyper niche, the figures is a massive one. So for example, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figures, the community is 67,000 people. Yes. And it turns out that if you come seventh in a photography competition of a small community of a few thousand people, and then you take that photograph and you say, hey, I came seventh in a photography competition for this action figure mm -hmm. of t or top 10 for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle community love it. And now you've taken something from one niche, moved it into another yes. one, yes. and you're suddenly a superstar. Exactly. And so I look at it like your micro niche, there's like this beautiful spider web, right? Oh or a conspiracy theory wall or Venn diagram. So you've got your micro niche, but each person that's involved in that, if they like share it to their social media of your thing, they'll sit like, this person has access to this network. Yep. This person has access to this network. And suddenly your 5,000 person niche is actually like a 13 million person niche. It, 100%. And it, it is about doing that cross-pollination. If we go back to the, the pickleball uh, anime example, if I try and break into the anime community for an original anime, I'm probably going to fail. Mm -hmm. If I create an anime for the pickleball community, 
and promote it in the Pickleball community. I am the only anime anime in Pickleball. Yeah. And I am likely to get a lot of viewers in the Pickleball community for being the only anime in the Pickleball community. Yeah. When my anime ranks so well in the Pickleball community, <laughs> and then I bring it to the anime community, I now have one of the most watched independent animes. Yes. And now I'm going to rank in the anime community, which enables me to rank in other communities. And so it's really important to like realize that there's these ways to go in, right? Correct. You you get in, but then you've got to grow. Yeah. And so that has to be organic. Correct. And if you force it, it falls apart. And so like I always say about, I know you don't want to hear this, but like two years to really dig into a community. And then from there, you've probably are selling multiple things to that community and that's where like the money is made and that and people kind of see you and and you get more community around it absolutely yeah and it is longer than people want yeah um, so i want to give you guys an opportunity if anyone has a question microphones here please feel free to stand up and and ask a question um and if we have anybody online um that wants to speak um did we do excellent kim if you would mind speaking for the people online and everyone else, you can just line up behind Kim if you have questions. All right. Maxwell wants to know, um, in your experience, what makes you fall in love with one product over the competitor's product? Oh. Um, it has to match my aesthetic. I like black and gold and ivory and not ivory, ivory, but like that color scheme. Yep. Um, I like for me, like a sophisticated um, aesthetic. And if it's a little nerdy and sophisticated, I will choose that. But it has to match me, yeah. right? And so when you're creating a product, that's why you got to know your audience because what matches them? What do they want? There's all these websites that will do like like A-B testing, comparative like imaging for your demographic. Make it for them, not well for I make mine for me because I know what I want to buy and that's how I work. But like... That's why I will purchase one thing over another. Yeah, I, I love it. For me, it's about what the product says about me. Ooh, so yeah, yeah. So like, if I'm wearing nerdy fitness wear, it's because I want people to recognize me. Like, oh, he's fit, but also is a nerd, yeah. right? Or like, why do I buy Mammoth Dungeons and Dragons dice when when anyone hears about it? Like, of course, you have five thousand dollars dice. Yes, and that's the point. If, if I know someone said, of course you have XYZ, that's how I know I should purchase it. Yeah. Because that's who I am. Yes. Um, and so it's actually even funny, like people watching the video, they're going to be like, wow, Adam's aesthetics changed recently. He's wearing like spiky, you know, <laughs> what's going on? And it's very simple. It's because at the time of filming, we're moving towards Halloween. And um, for Halloween this year, I'm doing the punk Spider-Man. And so I had to buy a whole bunch of stuff for the costume for my kids. But it ended up being quite expensive. And I was like, well, I'm going to wear it. Like, so I'm going to use it more than just for Halloween. Yeah. Um, so this will be a, a temporary look. That I actually use stuff more than just one. You're night. a level three badass now. Right. Yeah. You got to you got to you gotta live that world. Right. You got to yeah. go into it. But um, but that point is the decision is made because I'm like, this is the person I am. Yes. If I'm going to dress up for a, a week and I'm going <sighs> to spend an amount of money on it, I'm going to commit to that a bit longer and I'm going to use it more often because yeah. that is who I am. Well, it's conscious purchasing, right? right? I know that if I have X amount of money, I want to invest that money in something that is going to make me feel good yep. and make me feel proud rather than just like, oh, I guess I'm going to buy this now. Yeah, I love and, it. Yeah. Love that. Um, Satine, if you were going to say what smart businesses do in your own words, smart businesses do what? Smart businesses know their community and 
and love being a part of that community. Love that. Yeah. Perfect. Guys, once again, thank you ever so much for tuning in. That was Satine Phoenix. Make sure you go and check her out online and I'll see you guys next time. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.